We have been working our way, tiptoeing our way through 2 Corinthians. Today we come to chapter 4, verse 6. We're in, chapter 4 is a treasure chest of precious things. And uh, today we're in verse 6. And this is what it says. David? There we go. Just leave that up the whole time. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There are many beautiful things in this world. And God has given us eyes, most of us, he has given eyes to enjoy them. And we could, I could ask you to raise hands and we could make a list of things that all of us would agree are wonders to behold. Snow-covered mountains, dazzling sunsets, crashing waves, cascading waterfalls, starlit night skies, magnificent autumn colors, spectacular flowers, many things we could list. And of course we know that they're all designed to show us God's glory. The whole earth is filled with his glory, Isaiah 6.3. But there's one thing more beautiful and more radiant than anything else. There's one place where the glory of God gleams more resplendently than any other. And it is in the face of our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ. Now, the second half of this verse is a, an amazing string of prepositional phrases. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So let's unpack that a little bit. The last phrase of this verse tells us where we find the glory of God. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So how do we know God? How do we find out what God is like? We look at Jesus. The ultimate expression, the ultimate revelation, the ultimate reflection of God. We see God's humility at his birth. We see God's wisdom in his teachings. We see God's kindness in the way Jesus treated the needy. We see God's tenderness and compassion in his treatment of lost and broken people. We see God's mercy in Christ's response to those who came to him for healing and restoration. We see his power in his rule over diseases, over storms, 
over matter, over gravity, over death, and even over demons. We see his righteousness in his perfect obedience and purity, as well as in his intolerance of human pride and hypocrisy. And we see his love for sinners in his willingness to be nailed to a cross to atone for human sin. We see his defeat of death in the resurrection of Christ. You want to know, get to know God? Then look at Jesus. Study Jesus. Get to know Jesus. One of his apostles, one of his disciples, that is, once said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? That's John 14, 8 to 10. We see God in the person of Jesus. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So let's unpack it a little bit more. Before it says, refers to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, it says the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God shines his light, the light of his glory, on us. Do we see it? Do we see it? No, not with our eyes. We have the light of the knowledge. It is knowing him. It is not visually seeing him that is where our faith rests. The disciples, of course, visually saw him when he was here in the flesh and walked on earth for around 33 years. Many saw him at that time. But we know him without visually seeing him today. As Peter says in the first chapter of his first epistle, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And notice that the verse when it talks about this light that he's shown upon us, it says that he has shown it in our hearts. In this age, the age in which we live today, the light has shown not in our eyes, but in our hearts. The light we now have is, as the verse said, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But this light that we have is the light of knowledge. It is knowledge. It's not guessing. 
It's knowledge. It's not merely theory or conjecture. It's knowledge, not wishful thinking. It's knowledge, not just inward feelings. We know. We know him. That knowledge of Christ is what we have right now. And that knowledge makes all the difference in the world. Everything else is rubbish in comparison to the surpassing privilege of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord, as Paul says in Philippians 3. Now what about folks who always talk about seeing Jesus? Well, in this age, we walk by faith, not by sight. Jesus shines in our hearts, not in our eyes. Now, this doesn't mean he's only real in our hearts. He is real physically, too. Though we can no longer see him, for he is hidden with God in this age. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. As a physical being, Jesus is hidden from us in this age. But the glory of his face was largely hidden even when he walked on this earth. There was one time when a few of the disciples got a glimpse of it, enough to knock them off their feet at the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17. And there's another gospel that records it too. Think Mark. That was the occasion, remember, where Jesus' face began to shine like the sun and his clothes became white as light and the disciples couldn't behold it. But it lasted only a short time. We know that there's a day coming when every eye will see him. When all men will behold his face and melt. For now, God is enabling some to see his face. Not with their eyes, but in their hearts. The rest remain, as the couple verses before said, blinded by Satan, the God of this world. And unable to see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For God who said let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's hard to read these words and not think about how they are biographical for Paul who wrote them autobiographical that is this happened to him when Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus he saw a bright light from heaven he was blinded by that light but of course Paul's encounter with an outward light in that incident was accompanied by the reception of an inward light the experience of an inward light as well that changed him inside Think about Paul and his life up to that point. He had seen the glory of God in creation like all men do. But he knew that God had done the creating. And so he appreciated it even more. 
He had seen the glory of God in the old covenant, which God had initiated through Moses. And he'd, he'd read the scriptures and seen how the glory of God was manifested in the face of Moses and had to be covered up. He'd seen the glory of God in God's choosing of Israel and in his faithfulness and patience with his chosen people. He had seen the glory of God. But then he saw the face. He saw the face of Jesus. And all of a sudden he was, he was transformed by that, the glory that he saw in that face. Remember what happened. He saw this bright light from heaven, knocked him from his horse, and he heard a voice saying, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he answered, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And once Paul beheld the glory of God in the face of Jesus in that experience, he was no longer impressed by the fading glory of the old covenant on the face of Moses. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in Paul's heart and on our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Of course, to describe the work of God in the heart of the believer, Paul here is quoting from Genesis 1-3, the story of the creation, where God said, let there be light, and there was light. And the fact that Paul cites this passage from Genesis in describing what happened to him and what happens to believers in Christ shows that he sees this work of God to transform us, to show us himself as an act of God's new creation. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And now, in a similar way, people's hearts are dark and empty and disordered. And then God speaks into the darkness, let there be light. And he commands light to come into the darkness of human hearts. We can see God's old creation. We still live in it. But this old world is not the end of the story. God is now in the business of forming a new creation. Now certainly its consummation and, and most, of its, most of that new creation is going to come when Christ returns. But it's already begun. The new creation's already begun. It began with the resurrection of Jesus. Because the resurrected body of Jesus was the first piece of this new creation. The first part that was going to be the way it will always be from then on. And then it continued on from there. With the resurrecting power of God working to bring people in their souls from death to life, from death in sin to life in Christ. And one day it will culminate 
in the creation of a new heavens and a new earth. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In the original creation of light, God did not invite the light to come into being. He didn't urge the creation to come into existence. He spoke and it happened. He spoke and it happened because he made it happen. As Psalm 148.5 says, he commanded and they were created. So too, when God creates light in the darkness of a human heart, he speaks, let there be light and there is light. Now it can be confusing. Sometimes God commands something and doesn't make it happen. Most of God's commands can be disobeyed and often are. Even the Ten, Ten Commandments are frequently disobeyed. God gave them, but he didn't make them happen, at least not completely. But at other times, God commands something and does make it happen. Like when he stilled the storm. You know, remember his disciples out on the boat in the midst of this dangerous storm, afraid for their lives, and he said, peace be still. He commanded and made it happen. Remember when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the same thing. He called into the tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth. He didn't call into the tomb and invite Lazarus to come alive if he wants to. If you ask a dead man if he wants to come to life, he will never say yes. Because dead men don't speak. Now there's a couple of theological expressions that we use to describe this, what I'm talking about now. One is effectual call. Effectual call. God calls something and effects that call. He makes it happen. He brings it to pass. There's also a non-effectual call, of course. Jesus calls, for instance, all people to repent and come to him. But many do not. But when God said, let there be light in the creation, that was an effectual call. He didn't request it. He ordered it and effected it. Another, the other theological expression that we, is often used to describe this in a more limited sense is the expression irresistible grace. Some people argue that irresistible grace is not consistent with what the Bible teaches because the Bible is full of examples of people who resist God's grace. But that's not the point. That's not what irresistible grace means. Of course there is resistible grace. Most of God's grace is resistible grace. People resist God's grace all over the place. But when God wills that his grace will be irresistible, when he wills his grace to overpower any resistance in a person, his grace is irresistible. 
He makes it happen. Jesus says, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. And the word there for draw is the word referring to how you draw water out of a well. You grab it and you make it come up, in a sense, against its will, because gravity wants it to go down. You're making it come up. Paul's own conversion was a classic example of effectual call and irresistible grace. Jesus did not make this persecutor of the church an offer to try to get him to agree to come to him. He took him. He captured him. He hijacked him. Sometimes read the description of Paul about what what the call that Jesus put on his life in Acts 26.15 and following. Just as our first birth from the womb of our mother is not our choice, so our second birth is not something we really have control over. The second birth, as Jesus said, oh, I'm sorry, it's, it's uh, John in John 1, the second birth is not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And then Paul says in Romans 9, So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who works, but on God who has mercy. God is the only one who can take a heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. And when we realize that salvation, that our salvation is all of God, we realize that he deserves all the credit and all the praise. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The God of light who says, let light shine into the darkness of human hearts. Therefore, we see, is quite different from the God of this world that we saw, we read about in Verse 4, two verses ago. Who blinds people and leads them into utter darkness and hardens their hearts. So you have one who blinds people to Christ and one who shines the light of Christ into people's hearts. How gracious God is that he would do this. That he would shine his light into the darkness of our hearts. And you know, this teaches us that it was, a, it was a miracle. It was a miracle on the order of when he said, let there be light. It's not a human thing. Even though sometimes persuasion is involved, sometimes human thought is involved in the process, and God uses all that Yet we can see that it's a miracle on the order of the creation of light itself. 
how then can we neglect such a great salvation? How can we ignore such a God? God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you think that that means that after that happens, the God of this world, you know, just gives up on us and lets us go and walk in the light of Christ? No, not at all. He continues his work to try to blind us, to try to distract us, to try to get us our eyes off of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so it is a battle, a spiritual battle for us to keep our eyes on him. And the story of Peter who stepped out on the water to walk on the water and began to sink when he, when he took his eyes off of Jesus and put them on the storm around him is a great analogy to teach us that there, it is a battle to keep our eyes on Jesus. Because there's all sorts of other things happening that distract us and overwhelm us and make us feel afraid. Or make us perhaps feel good about things in this world instead of in Christ. And so we need to get engaged in the spiritual battle that each one of us is in. And the fact that it if it, if it doesn't feel like a battle for you, then it's probably Satan has, has uh, fooled you. It, first of all, it doesn't just happen easily. It, you don't, don't just drift into walking in the light. You fight for it. You get broken into it. It's not, you don't drift into it. And so if each day there's a battle before us, are we going to just live according to the things happening around us? Are we going to just live according to the way we feel today? Are we going to just live according to the circumstances that are happening in the world around us? Or are we going to fix our eyes upon Jesus are we going to realize that today we desperately need to be walking in the light of Jesus, looking at him, remembering him, listening to him? If we realize our need there, then we can, we can do something about it. We can read things and go places and get on our knees and cry out. We can do something about it. But if we don't even realize that that's our need, our greatest need, then we just go along with life. Just the stream of life. We're just drifting along on our inner tube and, and uh, not really um, geared in to what's happening and where we are and who we are and whose we are and where we're going. I've been a lot of things in my life. I don't mean jobs, career. I've only been one of those, or not many anyway. 
But uh, I've been a lot of things. I've been an atheist who hated God. So I know what it's like to um, be the kind of person that if somebody said, you know, you should ask God to, to break into your life, I would have had no interest in that at all and would have insulted you in response. But as the Lord began to work in my life, I also have known uh, a time before I was a Christian where something was happening in me. And I was beginning to experience things that I'd never experienced before. And that if somebody had said, you should, you should pray that God would break through into your dark heart with his light, I may, have, I may have been willing to ask God to do that work in me. And then I know what it's like to be a Christian. And I know that it's not... I know what it's like to become a Christian and have the light of God break into your life. And I know what it's like for that to grow harder and to drift away from it and to um, have to fight to rekindle it. And so whatever stage you're at in your life, I've been there. And... I don't know where you are. But in light of the fact that God breaks into hearts with his miraculous power and sheds his light into our darkness, I urge you to seek it, to cry out for it, to fight for it, not to let the burdens and the cares and the distractions and the stuff that happens in our lives to be what we think about and focus on. But that in it all we realize that the big thing in life is that Christ has broken into this world and has redeemed us, redeemed people. And that is there for us. And It's worth throwing everything else aside in order to take hold of that, which is life itself. And now we come to the table of our Lord Jesus, where he has invited us to come and meet him, where he has offered himself to us in the bread and the wine. And he says, this is my body. Take now and eat. Eat of me. And we come and we are saying as we take this, I am empty in myself. I don't have what I need. I need Jesus. I need Jesus to come inside of me. And we feed upon him and we fill ourselves with him. And that's what we're reenacting every time we take of the Lord's Supper. So let us come now and humble ourselves and seek the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for eyes that see. 
And we pray that you'd help us to see better and more. We remember that even the Apostle Paul was striving to see you better and saying, I have not arrived. And Lord, help us, help us, open our eyes. Turn us away from the things that get in our way. Help us to see the beauty, the glory of the light of Jesus. Even in this sacrament, dear Lord, show yourself to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.